This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SPOILER6. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate Spoiler Special on Man of Steel, the new Superman reboot directed by Zack Snyder. And joining me in the Slate studio are Brian Lauder and Forrest Wickman. You are both staff writers, primarily for Slate's Browbeat Culture Blog. Yes. And uh, you both saw Superman the other night. Sorry, we're calling it Superman for short. Man of Steel Man of the Steel. other night. Or Man um, of Steel, you guys yeah. saw it in 2D, right? Not 3D? That's right. Yep. Yep. I don't think you missed that much. The 3D did not seem to add a lot to, mm-hmm. the, to the mix. Um, but so before we get started on spoiling, let's just get a quick reaction from both of you. Pro or con, would you send your friends to this movie? Um, I found it extremely technically impressive, like overwhelmingly technically impressive in terms of the sound. Uh, the effects, the design. I thought the acting was pretty good, but I still had a hard time getting caught up in it just because there weren't very many relatable human characters. Um, So it just sort of felt like I was getting pummeled with excess, and I felt mixed about that. Yeah, I agree. The the pummeling, it's hard to get past the pummeling, and we'll we'll get to that in a moment in superhero movies and how do they differentiate themselves, you know, now that it's become such a summer staple. But so, Brian, you had a somewhat more positive reaction. Yeah, I guess I uh, went in just sort of not liking superhero movies very much in general the past you know couple years where we've seen a whole glut of them. I've never been really that into it. Uh, And this was the first one where I've ever really been invested in what was going on. No, it wasn't like a perfect movie and it wasn't, I agree with Forrest that the characters are not exactly human, but uh, I guess maybe I liked the pummeling. I I thought it was a beautiful film. I thought the music was excellent. The graphic design was excellent. Uh, And I was sort of buzzing after it was over. It's a particular kind of pummeling that Zack Snyder does. I have to say, I mean, he's known for his graphic novel adaptations, right? And he does, he's good at creating that graphic novel feeling in an image. It's, for what that's worth, that doesn't necessarily translate to telling a story. But. Sure, sure. Yeah, it was probably the most expert pummeling I can think of. <laughs> all right, so you guys help me reconstruct how this story is told. We basically all know the story. This is the Superman origin story, which incidentally was told only a few years ago in that last failed Superman reboot, right, which was called Superman uh, Returns. Superman Returns. Uh, yeah. uh, failed in retrospect, actually. It's been pointed out uh, this week uh, that it made $400 million. It caught nope. their um, about $400 million. It cost about $200 million, it's been reported. So that's not a, a great take, but it's sort of surprising how it's become a flop in retrospect. Yeah, well, I mean, I it guess was I pretty mean, well liked at the time. I liked it. I guess I would just say it's failed in the sense that it didn't it didn't start a new, right? I mean, yeah. it, it yeah. didn't that that particular program right. reboot didn't didn't continue to run. Um, so the origin story we all know, right? Superman as a baby is named Kal-El. He's shot off from Krypton into space by his parents. I don't think we see his mother in earlier Superman movies necessarily, do we? His, it's always his father Jor-El that we see launching him off into space. Yeah. But in this case, we see both the parents. We actually, I think, the very first thing we witness is Superman's birth, right? Yeah, Which, according see. to this movie's conceit, is the first live natural birth on Krypton in centuries. That's right. Because right. they they have developed some sort of matrix-like system where these robot pods develop fetuses. I'm not quite sure what evildoer wanted that to happen or why that's in yeah. place. Yeah, it seems like Krypton is some sort of communistic dystopia where everybody from birth is assigned a particular occupation and so that's part of what Superman represents for the Kryptonians is a break from that. Yeah. 
And this movie spends a lot of time, I mean, almost the first 20 minutes or so, establishing the world of Krypton, only to destroy it, right? But there's a lot of care put into the mythology and the design and the the archetypal look of technology on Krypton. Let's talk about about that stuff for a minute. I think that one of the movie's big successes actually was the design of Krypton and and the ships coming from it. Well, not only the design, but also the fact, I actually enjoyed the fact that they focused on that so much. Um, I think part of why I've never been attracted to the Superman story in general is, is because it's very sort of, Kansas American like plane um, and in this movie we got to see so much of sort of an alien world it was very sort of sci-fi heavy at the beginning at least um, and I thought that was a entertaining way to go for me personally um, and as you say it was gorgeously rendered um, yeah the way the technology looks is clearly it clearly springs from some kind of concept I mean it, it looks sort of Art Nouveau-ish actually yes. right everything's yes. curved and organic kind of shapes and super sexual like the, the capsule that they put the baby <sighs> yeah. Cal-El in looks totally like a penis but like not a super phallic one right like a very rounded yeah Anyway, I thought it was it was cool looking stuff, but it was kind of kind of pushing, you know, some sexuality boundaries in the way it looked. Totally. Yeah, it had a little bit of like an H.R. Geiger alien look to it. I'm I'm uh, surprised and and glad that you really got caught up in the opening stuff. To me, there was just way too much like Kryptonian partisan politics at the beginning that I didn't understand. I just I didn't totally understand what was going on because a lot of what they're arguing about you only realize what the codex is for example much later in the movie. Oh yeah the codex. The codex. Yeah. It's right. a complete MacGuffin right. The codex is I guess all of the encrypted genetic information of all of the people of Krypton. Which is right. somehow on like imprinted on a skull like a half skull that he like finds and then beams into Superman's body. It was, it, that was kind of bizarre. Yeah. Right but it, you know the <laughs> first time you're watching the movie I mean maybe if you're a huge Superman fan who's kept up on all the comics. I imagine this has come up in the comics before, but otherwise you're just wondering why they're running around for this skull. And it's not... I don't know about that. I have no idea how much of this is canon. Yeah, I don't don't know. I don't know either. I don't know either. But I I, I was thinking about, you know, why I couldn't get caught up in this at all, like the the politics of this world. It reminded me of the beginning of Thor a lot, and in fact, way too much of Thor is like this. And I think it's possible to do, you know, Star Wars is all about, like, an alien world where people, a lot of people look like humans. And diplomacy and all this this stuff, right? Yeah, but but in Star Wars, you open with, like, that that opening shot that's the tiny ship against the humongous one, and then you spend all this time getting to get, getting to know Luke Skywalker when he's just like this small town kid on his on his farm taking the power converters to Tashi Station or whatever, and that makes him very relatable, like just like us. And you don't really get that in this. So I actually w- wish there was more of the sort of American heartland, you know, believing in the goodness of of Kansas kind of stuff. Yeah, so there's two problems converging at the beginning on Krypton, right? One is that the core, which they've been mining, right? I think one of the very first lines that Russell Crowe, as Jor-El, gets to say is something like, mining the core was madness, right? (laughs) We know from the beginning that mining the core was a big mistake and it's going to collapse. But then there's also a war going on between the forces of General Zod, who's the bad guy, played by Michael Shannon, and, uh, and I guess... The rest of yeah, it seems like everyone's unhappy with the High Council. Both Superman's father, who represents sort of the science slash peace yeah. side of society, and then uh, General Zod, who's like the militaristic person. Uh, neither neither one of them seems to be very happy with the decisions that the council's made. Uh, and Zod, you know, chooses to sort of take over the society. I guess uh, even though the planet is collapsing around them, uh, so it doesn't really matter. But. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really get what Zod's end game was. If he was so against what what Jor-El was doing, what was his 
attempt to save the planet. We don't we don't know. It's not right? clear. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's just, it's like a military coup to sort of assert control and make things work again. I, I, I But they couldn't stop but presumably they couldn't stop the the reaction. Yeah. I don't know what his environmental Does he say something about was. colonizing other planets at the beginning? I and mean, that's clearly is what he tries to do at the end when, spoiler, yeah, they go right. and terraform the Earth and try right. to turn it into a That's probably planet. what he was planning, yeah. Right, colonization. Yeah, yeah. So we get the baby shot off into space in the, the penis pod, and he lands in the on the farm, as we all know, and this really is comic book canon, in Smallville, Kansas, in the farm of... Jonathan and Martha Kent, played by Kevin Costner and Diane Lane as his, his Earth parents who bring him up. And then that's when we get into this choppy temporal structure. Yep. Because I think the next time we see Superman after that, possibly he's grown up. He's being played he's by Henry boat. Cavill, right? He's on the right? oil rig, yeah. right? Saving the oil rig. Right. Yeah. So we see him save a bunch of people on an oil rig with a beard. That's that's an odd moment, right? Seeing seeing the young and very sort of slight-looking Superman with a beard. and but, but then we start to cut back and forth between his childhood, this unusual child being brought up in Kansas, and his young adulthood in which, and I think that this is unique, at least to Superman, movies I've seen. He's not Clark Kent, nor is he the Kansas farm boy, but he's this kind of marginal figure Nomadic, having odd jobs yeah. on boats and things like that, basically drifting through the, the margins of society, looking for people to save, but then quickly you know, scurrying off and assuming a false identity. So that seems like a slightly new twist on Superman. This isn't one of those dark, he's not being turned into a Batman kind of anger-motivated character, but he is made into someone you know, a little bit shiftier and more insecure than we're used to seeing Superman be. Yeah, so the, the central conflict of this part is, uh, and sort of of the whole movie, is just whether Superman should reveal himself, whether he should remain Clark Kent, or whether you know he should save people as Superman, but in turn tell everyone that there's aliens among them, and so freak them out, I guess, yeah. is what they're worried about. Is just uh, He's worried about riots or something? Yeah, his father, you know, uh, John Kent, was definitely worried about that, and that, that's yeah. sort of a question that's debated, even with Lois Lane, once they meet, um, you know, is this a good idea to reveal this or not? Will people just want to kill him, or will they want him to actually help? In fact, until General Zod comes back, which is relatively late in the movie, that's the major conflict of the movie, right? Yeah. Is the revelation of his true identity and, uh, and what role he should play in it and and also what role Lois Lane should play in it and unusually for one of these movies she finds out pretty early right unlike Margot Kidder back in the Chris Reeve Superman days she knows essentially from the first time he saves her from something I can't remember what that he is Superman and what he looks like there's not any problematic conflict about figuring out who he is the question is is she going to report it and who's going to find it out then speaking of that though it's funny how the movie ends when you know you you mentioned that he's not uh, a reporter for the planet uh, until the very end of the movie basically and I got the sense from that scene where she sees him, you know, as as the new recruit to the paper, that she doesn't recognize him. There is that what? No, no. She she like does. I think it's a very knowing. Okay. I wasn't sure. I was like, glance. is she real? Are we really supposed to believe that she can't like tell right. who this well, guy I mean, is? Well, if, if we're going to be jumping ahead to that moment, I mean, Sorry. come on. That, no, no, no. I want to, but I just that that reveal is so absurd at the end. The way <laughs> yeah. the movie has set up this publicity situation, right? For one thing, in the days of the internet, which is barely mentioned, there is a kind of blogger character at one point. Who, who leaks some information Woodburn. about Superman. Yes. Woodburn, which as Forrest pointed out is kind of Woodward and Bernstein put yeah. together. Uh-huh. Give us a reporter uh-huh. name, quick, Woodburn. <laughs> but there's real, I mean, there's not really any attention paid to the way rumors spread in the age of the internet and how difficult it would be to conceal his identity mm-hmm. as Superman, especially given the fact that Lois Lane has already reported that Clark Kent is Superman and showed it to Lawrence Fishburne, who's playing her editor, right? 
Um, so at least those two people know it. It just it seems like it's very knowable information in the world that this movie posits. So I mean, the already thin conceit that putting on glasses and a suit <laughs> makes him in, into Clark Kent is just even more transparent at the end of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're taping on Thursday. I don't know when it goes up, but I know that uh, Slate and our I think are in our science section. We actually have a piece coming about how Clark Kent's disguise work. You know, how it works, like how he gets by only by putting on a pair of of glasses and the idea is that he surrounds himself entirely with people who have face blindness <laughs> and, and yeah. so none of them can tell that he's the same person yeah i mean that is a really silly nit to pick but i'm just saying that given that these movies have to function on that conceit they need to do a little bit of work to protect sure. you know whatever credibility that conceit could possibly have so that, what, what else pops up from the, the middle of this movie that you guys want to talk about well, performances were, any kind of you know the special effects the fight scenes yeah well you were mentioning the the cutting back and forth and i think forrest and i had different opinions about that as well i thought that that was useful because it kept us from having to sit in Kansas for so long and watch him sort of deal with finding his powers and being beaten up. And we, and we got, I thought we got enough of that over time to sort of understand his psychology and, and the backstory. It's a pretty but, sophisticated structure. I was But I enjoyed impressed. it being, you know, in parcels and then getting back to sort of the main, you know, the main story of the, of this movie. Um, but I think you wanted more. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I enjoy the pleasure of just watching superheroes discover their powers. I think that's the one great moment in every origin story. And we do get that here, but it's very disjointed because of how they keep, uh, cutting back and forth. And then I think there's also a, a, a problem with, you know, so the central conflict of this part is whether or not Superman should reveal himself. And so over and over again, you get somebody that's in distress. You get um, th- all these kids on a bus. You get uh, a woman being sexually harassed at a bar. You get uh, an oil rig that's falling down. And so you get the same thing over and over again. Um, and if I think it, and and then ultimately his his father in a tornado, and it seems like that should have happened maybe twice and not four times. Mm-hmm. If I'm I'm probably forgetting more of right, him having to make Because it starts to become decision. comical, right? It's, just, it's like that it's part of tedious. his life is him trying to avoid having to save people, but he can't help it. Every bus he's on crashes, right? And every every place he goes, there's a tornado or an oil rig. This fire. is true. Yeah. Although we should note that it's not actually comical because almost nothing in this movie is funny. Yeah. What about yeah, the lack of, of sense of humor in this movie? Hmm. Do you really think nothing was funny at all? There's some funny... There are a few... I laughed a few times. I mean, I think, you know, it has a few laugh lines. I I should also say I'm fine with humorless movies. Like, this this movie feels, of all the Superman movies, most like a Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movie, and he uh, produced it or executive produced it. Um, And I really am a big fan of most of those movies. Um, But... It, this movie just seemed sort of like the most self-aggrandizing movie ever. So, I mean, we've talked about the excess, but it just just sort of endlessly pummels you. And if it wasn't cutting back to yet another action sequence every five minutes where Clark Kent has to decide whether to save people and reveal himself again, then I would have been more willing to go with it, just sort of telling its story in a very serious way. I'm not against, you know, a superhero. Well, it doesn't want to send to up Superman. Serious. It's not trying to send no. up the, the seriousness yeah. of, of the character. And it, but, but at the same time, and this, I give it credit for this, it does have some Christopher Nolan elements, but it's also not taking Superman's character and twisting it into this Dark Knight brooding yeah. dude. He's not dark, yeah. It's definitely, he's still quite noble and, and all of and that. Sweet. And, and sweet. And he has a little yeah. bit of that Christopher Reeve sweetness. So we should talk about Henry Cavill or Cavill. I don't know where you put the stress on his, on his last name. I haven't heard I it think, said yet. I want to say Cavill, but I don't know. That's what I've British. heard in my head at least for a long time. Okay, well, let's Cavill, let's cavil <laughs> about his worth, performance yeah. then. I mean, I, I, to me, 
in that this movie does evoke Chris Reeve and the Margot Kidder Chris Reeve Superman, which is completely different in tone, mm-hmm. right? But but something about the sweetness of the character, I think, is is supposed to invoke Chris Reeve. Am I crazy in thinking about that? That that was a, a performance reference for him? I don't know. It definitely was for the last uh, Superman movie for Superman Returns. I felt like his performance was nothing really like Christopher Reeves. Uh, it didn't have that sort of like Cary Grant screwball sparkle, right? Mm-hmm. It didn't yeah. have sparkle, that sparkle. Yeah. yeah. I think he's. It's, he, it seems like I like. So I thought Cavill was good. I, I, I. He didn't seem like he had a lot to do. You know, a big part of his role is just sort of him hiding who he really is. He's sort of, a, and so he remains pretty subdued. But when he gets a couple sort of like cry yells, I was surprised <laughs> at the emotional depth that he revealed. Yeah, that would the oh, one. It's so the, sad to think that that's the moment that the superhero blockbuster allows you, right? That's your yeah. big yeah. thespian moment. You can look at this guy, yeah. shake your fist, and yell. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that he, I guess, physically sort of filled out the role of Superman quite well for me. Um, but and yeah, he didn't get that much room to to act. I mean, it, it was just kind yeah. of like I'm here, you know, and this is I'm I'm sort of a a physical force in the world as opposed to an emotional one. And we were talking about this earlier. I didn't really buy the romantic element between uh, him and Lois Lane in this. Um, Played I mean, by Amy Adams, we should say. Right. Uh, and, and pretty well, I think. Um, but, you know, they kiss at the sort of towards the end, as you expect. But it didn't, it didn't feel like it was building towards that for me at all. I mean, yeah, they were holding hands occasionally, but they felt more like, I think you said something like... Um, they, they, it seems more like they respect each other's work, work than yeah. they have Crime, Crime-solving buddies. Crime-solving yeah. buddies or something. And so when they kiss, it just that kind of fell flat because we just didn't have enough uh, internal s- sort of view into their interiority to, to even get there for me. Can I say something about the kiss, too? Just that line, the pair of corny lines that followed the kiss were particularly grating in, in the context of the huge body count of the scene that had just preceded, right? Yes. I mean, the moment that they kiss is right after the most Christopher Nolan-esque world-destroying scene in which the city of Metropolis is, you know, I mean, there have to be thousands of people that died. In and the, this isn't acknowledged at all. That, no, I, I, I was a little put off by that, too, because, I mean, the, the sort of big battle scene it just flattens the city. I mean, probably yeah. half of it is gone, and you get nothing, <laughs> no acknowledgement of that, no sort of you know Star Trek like memorial service or something. It's just to me that's not really that doesn't fit with the spirit of Superman. And I mean, I'm sure a bunch yeah. of comic book readers are going to descend on me and say, well, in X, Y, and Z series that happens. But at least in the the movie Superman that we know, usually every life matters. You know, yeah. there's kind of a sense that like if an old lady falls off a skyscraper, you know, I got to get that lady. And of course, he's saving everyone he can. But you know, there's bodies and cars. Falling flying everywhere. And then after that, they have their big kiss. And then they say these, like, these two cutesy things. I can't remember. I think she says, um, the first kiss is... What is it? He says, they say the first kiss is... It gets it all goes downhill from yeah, there or something like that. And he there, says, yeah. but that doesn't apply because I'm, I'm not, not human, human or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm not human. And so it, it might have apply. been cute in a different context, but man, that was so... That felt so wrong. And Nolan, I mean, so Nolan in his defense, so every blockbuster in the world destroys a city in it now uh nolan i think usually doesn't he destroys a football stadium that's a pretty big deal but normally it's more about society falling into chaos and it's and that's more interesting and this movie tries to do that a little bit superman the reason he can't figure out whether to reveal himself is because he's not sure whether to trust people um and that's a big sort of like that's all of what the dark knight is about is whether people are basically good and whether batman can trust them um and the Joker's trying to make them bad. But this movie, it seems pretty obvious that everyone's good. Like that Kevin Costner is like this perfect American heartland mm-hmm. 
farmer father, and so there was really no suspense for it to me. Like we well, don't get not, a lot there's of there's not sort of a social satire. People. There's not any of that stuff that happens in the Batman movies about you know a social satire or some sort of dark vision of totalitarianism. Maybe on Krypton there is, but not on Earth. Right, but yeah. I still think it's supposed to be a big question for Superman. Like the the sort of one of the final lines he gives. We keep sh- jumping ahead to the end, but um, uh, is you know after he kills this drone and then the military comes up and they're sort of figuring out what the relationship is going to be and then he says I guess I'll just have to trust you and that's that's what he's decided to do like over and over again his decision is unlike over and over again his decision is I'm going to you know I'm going to turn myself into the human people and they will decide because they are basically good all right let's stop the conversation for just a minute for a word from our sponsor this episode of the slate spoiler special is brought to you by shutterstock.com at Shutterstock, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's a website, an advertisement, a multimedia presentation, or any type of film project. They have over 700,000 high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics. They have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. They source these clips from around the world and put them at your fingertips, adding 10,000 new clips each week, so whenever you visit, you'll find something new. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. No credit card needed. Just start an account, begin using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save the video selections you find to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use the offer code SPOILER6, and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com, and for 30% off new accounts, use the offer code SPOILER6. The Spoiler Special thanks Shutterstock for their support. So back to Man of Steel. So as long as we're spoiling, let's get to the return of Zod and the big action, the multiple big action climaxes of the movie that happen after Michael Shannon and his his merry crew of bad Krypton, Kryptonians come, think, come yeah, back to Earth. Kryptonians, I guess, yeah. So when Zod shows up, he announces to everyone, it sort of destroys Superman's whole plan of keeping himself secret because he announces to everyone that they are not alone. He does it in like eight languages that apparently Michael Shannon and Zod have learned. Um, yeah, he takes over the world's television sets, which yeah. again, it, it, seemed, it seemed a little bit, that seemed a little bit old school. Like that was something that could happen back in the 70s. Everybody gathered around their TV set. Right. He didn't use the internet. He didn't use new media to disseminate his message. Yeah. Um, and so he demands that Superman turn himself in or to Zod or he will destroy the whole Earth, I think is what he says. And so Superman does that. And then we learn there's that weird dream sequence. Do you oh, where, where, yeah, where Zod it's sort really of gets bizarre. in Superman's head mind. and tells him what the plan is, which is basically to terraform Earth. Uh, so that he can relaunch the Kryptonian That's species. very graphic novelly. I have yeah. to say that dream sequence is, is, is very effectively kind yeah. of creates this space that's inside both of their minds. We're clear that it's not really happening, but it's sort of the future being told through Zod's words. And it ends with this really arresting image of Superman sinking into this sea of skulls, which would be, you know, the whole depopulated Earth. It was, it was, that was, it was pretty powerful in its, its punchy graphic novel way. So we were talking a little bit before taping about how these tentpole blockbusters, which at this point are almost sort of like medieval canon that have to be respected and you can just tinker around the edges with the aesthetics of it how they differentiate themselves from one another and something that stood out in this movie I don't know that I necessarily loved it but it was definitely a signature a Zack Snyder signature thing was the speed at which the final battle between Zod and Superman takes place so as always right with these hyper technologized battles it comes down at some moment to just two two guys slugging it out a good guy and a bad guy and that's happening with Zod and Superman you know flying over the city of Metropolis punching each other and it is filmed with this kind of 
I thought, great clarity and speed. And essentially every punch sends the, the punchy flying about, I don't know, five blocks. <laughs> and at one point, Zod actually like takes Superman's cape. And like, and right, right. They're kind of like plowing through all the buildings. I guess they're in Smallville at that point, right? Maybe they're not. In there's, the there's two different series. There's two. Yeah. Where the same thing happens, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. There's, some, there's some kind of fun touches in that. And you're able to see what's going on. I mean, it's all done. I imagine most of it is done with computer graphics. Apparently, they barely ever put people on wires in this, although the flying looks pretty good. But yeah. at one point, Zod takes Superman's cape and kind of wings him around in a circle and sends him flying that way. I mean, there's just some kind of physics jokes, basically, about you know bodies flying through space that I thought were, were kind of well done and unusually done. Yeah, I mean, Zack Snyder, I think he's just really good at making shit look cool and... That this is one of the best examples of that. I mean, he na- he made his name largely with 300, where he sort of he did all this speed ramping, where he kept slowing things down and then speeding them up again in the middle of an action sequence. And so, yeah, this you get sort of just the speeding up part and more than ever. And it felt a little, it felt mostly different to me, and certainly more convincing than any f- fight sequence. That I I've. liked it way more than 300. I mean, this whole movie. Yeah. This is probably my favorite Zack Snyder movie I've ever seen, but that's not very high praise for me because I think I've pretty much loathed all of his movies up till now yeah definitely convincing i mean i i i'm not one for the 30 minute action scene at the end of all these movies but this was this was you know gripping i mean it was still way too long but it it just it had Mm -hmm. some fun moments in it where it wasn't just like oh a truck is coming at me again bang right there was some so there was some actual hand-to-hand combat that was that was kind of thrillingly filmed you wanted to talk about the music a little bit brian which i experienced essentially as just assaultive percussion but apparently there's a melody in there that people are humming there is uh yeah i thought this was some great work from hans zimmer um actually have a post up on Browbeat about the score um, and I, I thought that I mean it's definitely him right it's a lot of the sort of rushing minor strings and the big uh, brass hits that we learned in Inception and everyone made fun of um, and a lot of drumming I mean a ton of drumming in this I think he had a 12 member drum circle that he sort of put together to do a lot of that those big parts uh, including do you want to name some of the superstar drummers uh, including Pharrell Williams but right. I, I, do you know also Sheila E and uh, Jason Bonham John Bonham Son. That's right. Yeah. So oh, I thought it was John Bonham. You're right. It was Jason Bonham. Yeah. yeah. So he called all these people together. So you've got, you've got this huge. I mean, this hugely uh, uh, intense percussive, indeed, and, and and sort of brassy sound uh, that's very Zimmer. And I, I happen to like it. I mean, you might think it's noise. I think it's it's a sort of I call it like dramatic minimalism because it, it kind of builds. He, he does this thing where he starts out very softly and then layers build upon layers, build upon layers, and then you have you know a big hit and then it sort of uh, dissolves back into the ether. But um, well, the curious thing but, for me is just that there was a melody in there. Can we just stop for a minute and maybe play the melody so other people can, unlike me, pick it out when they see the movie?
Yeah, this and this is like a hope theme for sure. Um, this this sort of little um, bittersweet piano uh, melody that it gets transformed as you know a theme does in a movie. It, it, sometimes it's played very simply, and it's that's sort of the Kansas like Ma Kent moments. And other times it's it's uh, orchestrated such that it's more more noble and more heroic. Um, but I thought it was it was sort of classic film scoring stuff. I mean, and, and, it, and it harkened back to some degree to John Williams' work on the original movies, which is, you know, so iconic, um, without having to quote him or even really riff on that theme. It, it, it carried through the spirit in a useful way. Um, and like Forrest mentioned, there are all kinds of YouTube videos of, like, drummers play, playing to this thing, and uh, it's sort of got, gone viral, weirdly. Yeah. Um, so it's... I, I think it was a successful score. I mean... In our theater, at least, I thought they played everything too loud. Like, the speakers were too loud. Yeah, I if wasn't sure whether to, that was the score or... I think if you listen the to the score, it. you know, on, on the album, um, it's much more balanced and nuanced than, than it came through in the screening we were at. But, um, you know, hopefully people will go out and, and check it out that way. Any film score that goes viral and people are going around playing drums, too, that's, I'm, I'm good with that. Okay, wait, one last thing we haven't mentioned, which I think is, is pretty big, is Michael Shannon yeah. making his, you know, sort of supervillain debut. I was really excited that he was going to be playing the supervillain. Love Michael Shannon. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's really his fault, necessarily, but he yeah. seemed ill at ease and lost in that role to me. And all I, I just kept thinking, like, collect your paycheck, you know, go home, do lots of interesting theater with it, and, and please never do this again, you know? That's, that was how I felt about Shannon and Zod. Yeah, I felt that way, too. Before we went to see the movie, movie you know some people were whenever anybody was less excited about it the one thing i kept falling back on is i've never seen a michael shannon movie and I <laughs> i'm not imagining been you at dinner at. trying to get your friends to see, see man of steel michael shannon, shannon. Shannon's in it. <laughs> yeah there's some there who are takers on that and uh this was i think the most boring performance i've seen from him i thought i actually I, I think i liked it more than you did i thought he was good but it was not it didn't i mean you know he he often packs in these uh, eccentricities and uh, like like this thing where he blinks his eyes in sort of very deliberate ways. And he can be so terrifying. I mean, he's yeah. always so terrifying. And in, in this one role where he needs to be the most terrifying, he wasn't. I mean, I, know, I think he was deliberately trying to not chew scenery and not do a hammy performance and be very still and restrained and that would be where the threat would come from. And I don't know that that was necessarily his mistake, but I don't know. To me, it just, it just seemed like he wasn't enjoying himself. Yeah. So at the moment at the end that we see Henry Cavill as Clark Kent walk in and unconvincingly hide his identity behind glasses, is the implication that there will be more Superman movies? And should should we expect more? And do you guys want more? Yeah, I, I definitely want more. I was impressed by this this reboot. I think it has legs, and I think they could absolutely go further. Um, and now that everything's in place, we won't have to have as much of the mythology that uh, that Forrest didn't like. Um, and we've got everyone sort of where they need to be for the for the main line of the of the canon story. So um, I think they absolutely could go. I, I, I think that would be fine. I'd be happy to see another one. Yeah, I, I would. I would definitely go see another one. I think the cast is great. I, th- I think. You know, pretty much all of the elements here are really promising, except for the script, maybe. It was probably the biggest problem for me, and I think that's something they could correct for a lot of the reasons that you suggested. So I, I would go uh, to another Man of Steel movie. Yeah, I would, I would give these guys one more chance. I do hope that they take the, the Russell Crowe kind of holodeck character out of commission because it seems like it lessens the significance of the loss of his father, that essentially Jor-El can just sort of pop up on a computer program and not Marlon Brando style where he's repeating the same loop, but right. he's like an interactive hologram of himself or something like that. So you I, have I to admit to... it was wonderful when he's leading Lois Lane around the... 
the uh, the alien ship at that one point where it's just it's Jarrell and Lois, and there's this like funny scene where he's just like turn right, le- turn right, turn left, shoot over your shoulder. Yeah, um, I thought that was funny. It was like making thought, fun of it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with what you said, Dana. But as just a bit of sci-fi, that I that idea of having his consciousness like still alive in that ship was super interesting, and that like pin pin screen effect they kept using yes. to give all the exposition was really cool. Oh yeah, that was like a Spencer Gifts item. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you very much. And if there is another Man of Steel movie, please come back and spoil it with me. I'm in. Absolutely. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.